Hello again. Hello. You all set? I'm all set. All right, great. Hey, everybody. Welcome to the Craft Business Life podcast. My name is Lee Solomon. This is a podcast all about actors and how they do what they do and how they balance everything and what it's really like to be pursuing a career as an actor and living in New York and all that kind of stuff. Um, my guest is Megan Ray Little. Uh, she's an actor based in New York. Um, how long have you been in New York at this point, Megan? I just hit my two-year mark, March 1st. Ah, okay, perfect. So we'll have a lot to discuss uh, as far as, you know, because yeah. that's a good kind of a good benchmark to have, you know, figured out a couple of things and <laughs> see where you're at. So I get that. Yeah. Certainly, yeah. So great. So she's been in New York about two years. She does a lot of theater, regional theater. She uh, did some regional theater uh, in New Hampshire before coming to New York. Is that right? Yeah, that's correct. Yep. All right. So lots, lots and lots to discuss. So thank you again so much for doing this. Thank you for having me. Sure. So the way I always like to start these is to ask, you know, what you're up to right now, what your day-to-day life is right now, if you have any gigs, if you have any day jobs or whatever. And in your case, I guess you're actually currently out of town on a show. Is that right? I am. Yeah. So currently I'm actually back in New Hampshire. Mm -hmm. Um, I'll be traveling in and out of the city a little bit. Um, still working. Um, at my day job as well, but I'll be here for rehearsals and performances on the weekend. So I'm currently in Rochester, New Hampshire. I'm performing in a murder mystery on Friday and Saturday night called um, The Mystery of the Murder on the Muppet Show. <laughs> and also in rehearsals for Footloose, and I'll be playing Rusty in Footloose in the open in early May. So, so okay. Sure so, while I'm here. Yeah, so... These are two completely separate companies, two completely separate jobs? Um, no, it's actually all through the same theater company. So oh, okay. They only do a murder mystery. It's for 10 weeks every winter. Um, and that is performed. They own an inn across the street from the theater. So we perform at the Governor's Inn in Rochester. And then the, um, the show, Will Footloose, will be performed um, at the Rochester Opera House. Oh, excellent. So, okay, so yeah, so basically you're part of this repertory company, essentially, and you're doing one show and, and preparing for another one. Yeah, yeah. Excellent. And now this is an interesting point that you said you're also traveling back and forth and still working your day job in between. So so talk about that a little bit. I, I assume that means, sadly, that you're not paid full-time while you're up there doing this stuff. Right. I mean, I'm, I'm certainly being paid decently mm-hmm. for the job. Mm-hmm. Uh, however, as every New Yorker knows, um, my lease is coming to an end soon, and that means I will be moving, and moving in the city is quite expensive. So I'm basically trying to work all week and be in rehearsals all weekend, essentially working seven days a week in order to make enough money to, you know, make a profit and also be able to afford to move um, at the end of May. So, Yeah, no, I understand. Yeah. You know, this, this has come up a lot. You know, it's really one of the major topics of this podcast, you know, just cost of living in New York in general and also how you balance, 
dealing with housing, especially if you're going in and out of town on shows and whatever. And uh, it's it makes it really tough. Uh, I know that. Yeah. Um, it's really so, hard. So yeah. basically, you know, in, in the very beginning of the rehearsal process for Footloose, I'll be traveling back and forth. But then for the majority of April until we open in May, I'll have subletters and then I'll come back in between show weekends in May in order to prepare for my move and to work as well. Exactly. Yeah. And the subletting thing, that's another thing people do a lot. Yeah. So, um, again, to get into some more of the nuts and bolts of this stuff. So are you are, if I'm, if I read your resume correctly, you are not equity, correct? I'm not equity. Nope. Not equity performer. Right. So again, this is another important thing that comes up a lot. You know, the common wisdom seems to be, especially if you're fairly new in New York or whatever, you know, kind of avoid equity as long as you can, uh, unless some really amazing opportunity comes up and you're kind of required to join, uh, because obviously you have a lot more freedom of choice of work and, uh, you know, you don't have to pay the equity dues and so forth. Obviously, you know, there are pros and cons on both sides. Uh, But so my question that this, you know, for you is, so being that you're non-equity, and then again, there is plenty of work out there, including paid work um, for non-equity actors. So in this case, you're a part of a regional theater in New Hampshire and you're non-equity. Is the entire company at at that theater non-equity or are there some equity people? At this theater, it's all non-equity. Excellent. And um, do they provide housing and so forth? Well, it's interesting because most of the people at the theater are local. Okay. um, With the exception of myself and one other actor in this current production. So they do offer housing um, if if it's necessary. But for the most part, the people who are here, they don't usually have to offer housing. Got it. Cool. Um, so I think it's just a, you know, a case-by-case basis. Absolutely. In that particular theater. And you've done other regional shows in different places in the country as well, correct? Mm-hmm. And have you found, yep. again, I know it's a generalization and every theater may be different, but overall, as a non-equity actor, have you found that they, you know, they treat you well and they give you what you need and they give you housing and so forth? Yeah, I mean, I I count myself very lucky. I've never been in a situation where I was severely mistreated just because I was non-equity. Um, for the most part, I've had really, really good experiences with every theater that I've worked with. Excellent. And I know that that's not always the case. So, right. Yeah. All right, very good. And so, cool. And, uh... Most of your out-of-town shows you get, well, obviously the New Hampshire stuff, I guess you have a prior relationship with, but um, have you also gotten, I assume, your other out-of-town gigs you've gotten through auditions in New York? Mm -hmm. Mm Mm-hmm. Some of them, yeah. Okay, great. Um, So let's talk about your background and and how you started out in New Hampshire and so forth. So you, you, you grew up in New Hampshire, right? I actually grew up in Massachusetts, oh, basically. Okay. Um, and yeah, so I, I was born and raised in Amesbury, Massachusetts. And we have a tiny little dinner theater in our town. And I started performing there when I was 14, I believe. Um, and very, very quickly, it just became 
my entire life. I mean, many, many hours when I probably should have been at school or at home, I was up here. Um, and then pretty quickly after that, I also started doing shows along the New Hampshire seacoast. Yeah. Um, doing a lot of summer stock and performing at repertory theaters there. Um, so even starting when you were still in high school, you were actually doing professional gigs. Yeah. Excellent. Yeah, Excellent. Um, and then I ended up going to school in New Hampshire for a musical theater and I trained there for four years. Um, and then stayed on the New Hampshire Speakers for a few years after that before making the move to New York. Great. And um, so this brings up another, you know, important question for actors, which is, you know, there's regional theaters all over the country. And as you mentioned, there are local actors in different places who work with these theaters. So, you know, you, you refer to the New Hampshire Seacoast. Um, you know, is that is that a variety of different theaters in one region or is it mainly just one company? There's a there's a whole lot of different theaters in this area. Oh, um, great. I'm really really lucky that that I grew up in an area that has such a rich arts culture. Mm-hmm. Um, in that particular town that I ended up going to to perform, there's probably five or six theaters in just that one town. Wow. So I was really really lucky to be able to find that at such a young age. I know a lot of people aren't lucky to have that many theaters in the area where they grow up. No. So. So, to be clear, we're talking about a town in Massachusetts now. This is actually a town in New Hampshire, um, oh, close okay. to New Hampshire. Pretty close to my, I mean, I grew up the next town over. It's near the border, I see. So right. I gotcha. Okay, sorry, that, that's what I keep getting confused about. Okay, so you're in, yeah. you're in both states, essentially. Yep. So, yep. um, so this is, this is really good to know. So there's a bunch of theaters in this area. Um, so if you're an actor and you want to spend, either you live in that area or you choose to live in that area at least some of the year, um, you can, uh, you know, have a lot of work locally if you're up there, right? Certainly, yeah. That's and excellent. in the summer, they do this big outdoor arts festival and they perform in school nine weeks out of the summer. Um, there's another smaller theater called the Players Ring, and they do a lot of original work, and they do a whole evening series. So there's basically a little bit of everything. That's really, that's really phenomenal. I had no idea that all that was there. I really didn't. So this is really good for people to know. Yeah. All right. Very cool. And so, um, you were breaking up a little bit a moment ago. I'm sorry. What, what college did you say you went to? The University of New Hampshire. Oh, okay. And you, and that was a theater major or a musical theater major? A BA in musical theater, yeah. Excellent. What was the training like there? Um, I loved my experience at UNH. I mean, we trained in four years. We were required to take ballet, tap, jazz, musical theater. You worked with a vocal, a vocal coach um, privately one day a week, but also attended musical theater classes where you were taught everything from, you know, how to choose songs and prepare your book and what to wear to audition. And then we also took, um, you know, dialect classes and Shakespeare and acting. And my professors were really, really wonderful and knowledgeable. Um, 
I absolutely loved it. And then we performed, you were required to do a couple of main stages when you were there, but there were also student-run productions. So I think with the exception of my very first semester of freshman year, I think I was involved in a production every semester. Fantastic. Uh, Yeah, it it was really wonderful. Great. And so one of the things I love delving into on this podcast is training. Uh, because when I was an actor, I was, I didn't, I never had much formal training and I was always kind of resistant to it. And, and I, I wish I hadn't been, uh, but I'm really fascinated by, by the training aspect. So, you know, you had been doing shows, uh, you know, when you were younger, so you, you obviously could act and you could sing. Um, you know, once you got to school in terms of the actual technical training, like, like singing, for example, did you, you know, how was your voice when you started and how did you find the, the training helped you actually, you know, develop your singing voice consciously or how did that work for you? Well, I, my parents realized from the time that I was young that I really, really loved this. So they put me, I had a vocal coach, I think, starting when I was 12, maybe. Mm-hmm. So by the time I got to school, I, I had been training, um, with a vocal coach for a little while, but my vocal coach in college was phenomenal. I mean, you could tell him any song and he could play it on the piano without sheet music. He was amazing. Mm-hmm. Um, it, yeah, it certainly just makes you a much more conscious singer with everything, placement, diction, how to delve into a song and make it your own, um, character development, um, yeah, now when I look at a piece, you know, I instantly think of all of that as opposed to, oh, this is just a beautiful song and I'm going to sing it. Right, exactly. So it definitely makes a huge, huge difference. Excellent. And um, and so now you have this, this very technical singing, you know, vocal training and technique uh, under your belt, essentially, so you really know how to approach singing uh, in a professional way. Mm-hmm. Excellent. What about the acting component? Did you have, uh, you know, a lot of acting training there as well? Yeah, we were based in, we did a lot of Meisner technique. Mm-hmm. Um, and we were required, there were three different acting classes we were required to take when we were there. And it was similar. I mean, a lot of scene study, monologues, um, how to choose appropriate monologues for yourself and your type. Um, you know, how to delve into an appropriate emotional place that isn't going to affect you for the rest of the day or longer. Um, so just, just teachers who taught us how to really approach things from an appropriate place, but also to make sure that we were safe when we were doing it, um, and not to hurt yourself physically or emotionally, which I think is really important for actors to learn. Yeah. Well, that, that sounds like an excellent school. It sounds like they really hit all the uh, all the important stuff in the right way. That's great. Um, yeah, I had an awesome experience. Yeah. There. Now, this is like the fourth or fifth time, I think, on the podcast so far that Meisner has come up. Uh, it's a very, obviously, popular style of training for actors. And a tough one, especially at first, because at first you're like, what are we doing? And then if you get through it you eventually get to to the real meat of it. I had a really interesting conversation with somebody about this the other day, and he was able to articulate, 
you know, what Meisner really does get you to ultimately if you stick with it, and it's great. Um, did you find the Meisner training, you know, helpful? And, and, and was it, you know, did, was, you know, a lot of people when they start it with those initial repetition exercises are very like confused and annoyed and turned off. How how was that process for you? Oh yeah, definitely. All of those things happen. And I just remember for the first probably couple weeks that we were doing it thinking, I just don't understand what we're doing. Right. I don't understand why why I'm making this eye contact with you and trying to listen so hard to what right. you're saying. Right. I just felt like I I personally couldn't get out of my own way and I felt like I was always doing it wrong. Mm-hmm. But the longer you do it and you just kind of break down those walls and those barriers that you have and get out of your own head, it really, really teaches you about listening to the other person and having an authentic scene because you're really listening and not just waiting to respond. Which yeah. I think is so important in life and in acting. Yeah. Um, so it was very beneficial. Excellent. And with, you know, so with all this acting training, you know, similar to the singing, do you feel now like, because you, we should say, you don't just do musical theater, you also do straight theater, television, film, everything, right? Yeah. Since I moved to New York, I've gotten a little bit. I had never really had experience with, with any sort of film. So since coming to New York, um, I've sort of delved into that world as well. I've been doing a lot of background work for television. I've done student films. Um, so it's just a, and it's a really, really different medium than musical theater. Oh, yes. And so, yeah, what a lot, what happens to a lot of people from the theater world is they have to really adjust their technique. They have to really sort of dial it back and be smaller, quote unquote. Um, although some people disagree with that. Some people have told me they think that's nonsense. So there's different schools of thought on it. But generally it's said that because obviously the camera picks up everything and, and you can be very small and subtle. And if, you, if you're as loud as you would be in a big theater on camera, it, it's not going to come out right, I don't think. So did, right. did you Absolutely. find that, that adjustment process challenging at all when, when you do switch to on-camera work? Definitely. Um, I took a film class last summer, um, acting for the camera at the acting studio, and it was a huge adjustment for me. Mm -hmm. I mean, when you're used to doing summer stock, you know, in a tiny theater with thousands of people in a park, it's just such a big difference. Um, So I definitely found myself having to pull back a lot, and even just, you know, remembering not to move your head all the time right. and standing up straight and not moving your body. Right. Exactly. Yeah, and, and casting directors generally will say, like, if you're a theater actor and you're trying to get into on-camera, get some training, take some good on-camera classes because, you know, they, they'll be able to tell if you don't have the the camera-type adjustment and so forth, and, it, and it's helpful. So that's great. Um Cool. So, but in general, as far as your, your Meisner and other acting training, you know, do you have a specific tools and techniques you now use when you are given a script, whether it be to prepare for an audition or if you are doing a straight play or even just a book scene in a musical, do you have a concrete technique you use for, for preparing a script? Um, yeah, I think the, the biggest tool I think that I took away is something that one of my acting professors taught us to do, and that was, you know, the first time you're given a scene, just read it through once. And then the second time, 
read it through and pull out everything that you are told about your character yeah. in that scene. Yeah. Or ever, and then the third time, you know, go through and pull out everything that you can decipher about the scene, you know, through things that aren't said, but things that you can assume. And then the fourth time, make it your own and figure out, you know, why that person probably acts that way, what their intentions are, things like that. Um, and I think that that's probably the biggest thing that I learned in acting class that I still carry with me. Yeah, no, that's, that's a great, that makes sense to me. And that's a very, uh, you know, standard way to do it. And I, I completely agree. Yeah, of course. Um, not that I'm an expert these days by any means, but that, that does, that definitely uh, makes sense to me. So, um, cool. And what about auditioning? Um, you know, you know, whether it be a singing audition, uh, or, or an, an acting audition or a combination of both. Um, well, first of all, let, let's back up a little bit. Generally speaking, if you're auditioning for musical theater, do they ask you to do a song and a monologue, or do they really just focus more on the singing aspect? Um, I personally have never been asked for a monologue. In wow, okay. Audition. Um, okay. Usually, when you go in, they ask you for 16 bars. Yep. And then sometimes, you know, you're waiting in line or you're waiting in the room, and, you know, the monitor will come in and say they've cut it down to eight bars. Wow, okay. And then, so you really don't get much time in the room at all. They... You know, generally, if they want monologues or if you read that, generally comes later at callbacks and all that. Mm-hmm. Um, but usually, it's singing. For me, I consider myself a singer before a dancer, so I usually go to the singer call. Yeah. And then, if they want you to stay and dance, they'll ask you. Yeah. Usually, in the room, they'll say, "We'd like you to stay and dance." Um. But yeah, usually, usually monologues are are not included in that first initial round. Gotcha. And see, I actually didn't even necessarily know that myself. You know, the, the musical theater world, I have no real direct experience with at all. So this is very interesting. So so let's start with that. How do you choose and prepare 16 bars and then, if necessary, make it eight, <laughs> as you said? Uh-huh. Um, you know, what, what's what's your strategy or advice for people? You know, what what makes those 16, first of all, for those of us that don't even know what that means, how long is 16 bars? Is that like 30 seconds? How long is that? Well, it depends if you're singing a ballad or an up-tempo. But yeah, generally I'd say it's, a, it's around probably 30 seconds. Um, and that's usually either one verse of a song or one chorus of a song. Okay, yeah, that's and how I should have like asked that I realized in terms of like the part of the song. Yeah, so a verse or a chorus, that sure. makes sense, yeah. Yeah, um, generally speaking, that's, that's the length, and then they'll ask you sometimes to cut it down to half of that. Mm-hmm. And if that's the case, I mean, you just want to go in and you want to sing the most impressive part of the song, and that tends to be, you know, the highest note, the beltiest part, the part that shows off your personality and your range in the best way. Um, but generally speaking, musical theater actors are told to prepare what's called their book and within your book you have all the songs that you would be able to sing on a dime right if you walk into the room and they said oh we don't want to hear that we want to hear something else right you have to say oh i have this this and this 
they'll tell you what they want to hear. Right. And within that song, you have your 32 bars cut out, your 16 bars, your 8 bars. Right, right. And you, or your, you know. Yes, I, I've seen, yes, right. yes, I've seen a little of this. Then you, you put it in front of the accompanist and they just play it. Yep. So. Yep. So this is very so this is important and and helpful for for people that you know may be pr- currently studying musical theater or moving to New York soon or just came here. So so mm-hmm. I, you know you you answer what I was going to ask basically, which is like, what are your criteria for picking those sixteen bars? So as you said, shows off your best vocal range, shows off that you can hit certain notes. And of course, you know, shows off sort of your personality, so to speak, or what kind of character mm-hmm. in a song you you might be seen for. Um, Certainly, yeah. because you know, you walk in the room and you're in there for thirty seconds. So, generally speaking, they you know they say all the time they know whether or not they want you the moment you walk in. But if you have something up your sleeve that they're not expecting. That you know, you can change their mind and not eat, and not eat bars. You want to showcase your best self always. Yep, and you know, obviously, people that are in school hopefully have teachers and coaches helping them with this. But I'm sure if you are in New York, I'm sure there are plenty of coaches out there who can help you. You know, put a book together if you're if you're uncertain how to do it yourself. Yeah, I would say that that's the biggest thing that I didn't necessarily learn in school. We gained the training, but I would say we didn't necessarily learn a lot of the business aspect of it or the practical things that you would need if you chose to move to New York after school. Things like, you know, having your book together or what a headshot should look like or, or things like that. So that's stuff that I've learned in the two years of being in New York. And it's been a slow moving process, but I'm, I'm finally kind of feeling like I'm on my feet with it. Yes. Yeah, so again, this comes up all the time on the show. This is another big common theme, you know, that the okay. schools really don't teach you the, the practical stuff, the business stuff, et cetera. And, um, and, it, and it's hard. Yeah. So, so, you know, you kind of, I mean, I feel like I wish they would just at the very end spend some time and some schools do. But as one of my guests the other day pointed out, you know, number one, you may be in school somewhere, nowhere near New York, and they don't even necessarily know any of that stuff. And two, you know, um, I do agree with the idea that for the most part, the training should be separate and focused on the craft and everything. But, you know, so then sometimes when you get to New York, you, you find ways to learn that stuff. So, um, so first of all, and we'll get back to that part in a moment, but I I do want to ask you, you know, if you're going on singing auditions regularly and you have that book prepared in case you're asked to do something, and obviously when you are rehearsing and performing, as well as living your life and busy and running around, do you have a, a system for keeping your voice, your singing voice in shape? Do you do, you know, exercises or do you have some kind of regiment for that? Um, well, it's, you know, it's difficult because oftentimes I'm working a side job, which is usually yeah. a restaurant, and I'm up really, really late night. Yeah. So I I try really hard to stay super hydrated, mm-hmm. rest as much as I can when I can. Um, I try not to drink a ton of alcohol <laughs> because okay. I just, you know, <laughs> sure. feel like that's not always great for your voice. Yeah. 
socially, you know, of course I do here and there, but, yeah. um, yeah, that's a big one, I think, for your voice. Um, I go to voice lessons as much as I can, um, and just sing on my own at home. You know, it's a muscle, so you want to make sure that you're keeping it in shape. Exactly. Um, those are the, the things that I think are, you know, the easiest yeah. to just do on your own. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, that's, that's what I'd say. I do to keep my voice in shape. No, that, that makes perfect sense to me. And, and you alluded to a couple of important things. You know, like I said, you know, actors are busy. They're running around. And, and specifically, in fact, you know, you mentioned the restaurant thing. That's a common thing. And if you have to work late into the night and then you have like an early audition the next morning, you know, that would be tough on anybody's voice, you know, let oh, alone yeah. someone. Try. I mean, yeah. I see so many people when I walk in the room and we're like, oh, you know, I worked until one last night and then you get up at five and you go stand in mine. And Crazy, right. It's really, really exhausting. I mean, mentally, physically, all of it. It's right. really, really hard. Right. Not to mention the early waiting part as well, that you have to show up early and wait in line. Like, it, it's, it's kind of ironic, you know, the whole thing is sort of designed to, to, in such a way that it messes with you, you know, it's like, it, they don't make it easy by any means, the conditions oh, of these no. kind of things for you guys, it's, so it's... it's entire business is just hurry up and wait. Yeah. Hurry up and wait, always. Well, that's a good segue, because I believe that's the title of one of your blog entries, isn't it? Hurry up and wait. It sure is. So why yep. don't you tell people about your blog? Sure, um... So I realized that a lot of actors in the city have a website. So maybe about probably close to a year ago, I reached out to um, a friend of a friend to help me create a website. And she said that a lot of actors have blogs on their website just to keep people up to date on what they're doing currently um, or just about living in the city and their their process, kind of similar you know, to this podcast, kind of connecting with other actors, letting them know, you know, their process of, of working in the city and auditioning and all that. So yep. that's kind of what I've made my blog a little bit. Um, I, I've only, I haven't been that many, to be perfectly honest. I think there might only be four on there. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, every once in a while I get on there and I let people know what show I'm doing currently or you know, what auditions I've been to. Um, so, yeah, that's that's kind of what I try to do with my website. It has, you know, production photos on it, headshots, videos, things like that. Um, and it's also just another way for, you know, if you submit your resume or an email with a headshot in it, I always put my website at the bottom. That way, if they do want to see more before they connect with me, uh, they're able to kind of click on that and see, see who I am and what I'm all about. Yes, a very common thing these days, and, and I think very helpful. Um, so we're going to post, you know, all your links and so forth on the episode notes. But uh, where where right. can where can people find your blog if they want to okay. check it out? Sure, that's at com. Yep, and again, we'll post all this, but just so people know, Ray is spelled R A E. Um, Cool, excellent. And that so that is your website that has both the blog as well as your other media, your videos and so forth. Yep, exactly. My reel, all that stuff on there. Um, and I actually decided to make a website right before I did the agency blast 
when I was doing all my blind submissions, my headshot, my resume, cover letter, all that stuff. I wanted to make sure that my, my website was ready to go and keep, you know, agents, casting directors, whoever wanted to look at that. Yeah, let's uh, let's so talk a little. Let's talk a little more. Yeah, exactly. Let's talk a little more about that because this is important advice, I think, for newer actors and so forth these days. You know, when I was trying to be an actor in the late 90s, early 2000s, this wasn't really, I don't think, common yet. Uh, but now it really is. Um, you know, yeah. and it's you have a website, like you said, a reel. Reels have always been around, but now it's easy to include it in your website. Some people have YouTube channels, all that kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, and there is some cost to it if you're going to do it professionally and, and do it well, but it's, it seems to be worth it. It's part of an actor's, you know, uh, a presentation and toolbox, so to speak. Um, mm-hmm. So having gone through this yourself, uh, any advice or takeaways from putting the reel together and, and putting the videos up on your website and everything? Um, well, as you said, it's a lot easier now because oftentimes at this point in, you know, 2019, not much gets done without having it recorded. So anytime I do... 2000, did you say 2018? It's 2019. 2000, well, I thought I said 2019. Oh, maybe, maybe you did. I couldn't, I I wasn't sure. Sorry. No, that's okay. Oh my gosh. I'm a little tired. I may have said 2018. No, no. And and I'm, I've made that mistake myself already this year. So don't, don't worry about it. In fact, I think it's on one of the other podcasts where somebody corrected me. So no, not a problem. Just, 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 I wasn't sure if that's what you said, but anyway, go on. Sorry. Um, that's okay. Um, yeah, basically, um, just, you know, alluding to the fact that our technology is so advanced at this point that everything gets recorded. So it's a lot easier to be surreal at this point in time. I mean, all my cabarets have been recorded that I've done in the city or performances from musical theater performances, or I did um, this sketch show called The Sketch of New York that's being done in the city. Um, we have recordings of all of that. So basically, you just take, you know, 20 second clips, 30 second clips from all of that, and you put it together, mine was done in like iMovie or something. Um, so it's pretty simple, and you really can do it yourself, at least when you're first starting out. Um, and that's, I ended up just uploading it to YouTube, and then that's what's on my website. At this point, I certainly would like to have something that's a little bit more professional looking, because a lot of the videos are taken on a phone which I don't think is the most professional thing that could be on my website, but um, it's just the easiest way for somebody to, to look at all my stuff at this point. Yeah, and, and you bring up the exact point I was going to, because this is an important thing to talk about, too. Um, I actually had a casting director on the podcast, Lori Malkin, and we talked about this. Yeah. You know, it's it's yeah. very easy for anybody to throw up a quick self-tape through their phone or whatever, and there's nothing wrong with that, especially if the audition is calling for a self-tape. Uh, but the, mm-hmm. the, the important distinction, she said, is if you're presenting something as a professional reel, then it should look professional. But if it's just a self-tape for an audition, that's fine. It can be a very casual self-tape. Uh, but, you know, that that's what you have to be careful about. If it's supposed to be a reel, then then it needs to have, it needs to look like a reel, you know? <laughs> yeah. Right, right, yeah. exactly. Yeah. All right, very cool. Um, so... 
uh, we're kind of jumping back and forth all over the place, which is totally fine. But I want to talk about, um, so let's talk about when you first got to New York uh, two years ago and what you've mm-hmm. learned about life in the city and everything. We've talked about a little bit of it already. But first of all, when you first got here two years ago, um, had you ever even been here before? Had you ever been to the city before? Yeah, I had um, a few times. I mean, I grew up only about four and a half hours from the city, so mm-hmm. it's not too far. Yeah. Um, I had been a few times. A couple of my friends went to college in the city, so I'd been, and then I spent a New Year's Eve there once. Um, so I'd been to the city, and I, I always knew I wanted to move there yeah. since I was really, really young. I yeah. knew I wanted to live there. Yeah. Um, and I was lucky that I had visited before I moved because I know a lot of people come without having ever been in such a culture shock, exactly. no matter where you come from, I think. Exactly. And um, I assume the town you grew up in was, was it kind of small, like a small suburb or? Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. very, very small <laughs> um, community in Massachusetts. I mean, I graduated with 150 kids at my high school. Yeah. Um, it was definitely a small town. And I've I've spent quite a bit of time in New England, uh, and I've been Massachusetts, New Hampshire, all these places, um, and particularly Massachusetts and New Hampshire, I would say. And you, you having actually lived there, um, can tell me if you agree or not. But uh, unless you're like right in Boston or something, uh, it's it's a very different kind of culture and feel to from New York. Like not just the size, but just everything about the way of life. Is yeah, different. I mean. There is no diversity right. where I came from, really. I right. mean, yeah, there's just not much diversity in anything. I mean, race, culture, religion, everybody is just, I don't know, very similar, we'll say. Interesting. Yeah, exactly. Um, okay, so you have been there. So you get to New York and two years ago. And what's your initial plan? Did you find an apartment before you got here or what did you do? So, I originally um, had a sublet, and then that ended up falling through. Mm-hmm. And then one of my friends, a very good friend of over 10 years at that point, told me that I could sublet her room from March to June, which is exactly what I was looking for, because I knew as of June first, I had planned on finding a lease. So, how did you know this person who was yeah. already, how did you know this person who was already in New York? We grew up together. Nice. Uh, we grew up doing theater together. So she lived in her apartment, um, and she sent me photos, and the apartment was beautiful. I was really, really excited. It was in Brooklyn. Um, so I drive to New York. It was a beautiful day. It was like 70 degrees on March 1st, one of those weird, like, spring spring days in my, in my fa- Literally my favorite. And, that's my favorite weather, and it started being that way. Uh, the beginning of this week, and I have been in heaven. Not today; it's all rainy oh, today. But, okay. but that's truly my. It's funny because we're in it right now. That's why I'm thinking about it too. That is my favorite time of year and my favorite weather. But I'm sorry, go on. <laughs> no, I agree. I mean, that's truly the best. One of the best yeah. times of year in New York. Yeah. Um, like Any, anywhere. Time when it anywhere. To get warm. But yeah, yeah. Anywhere. You're right. Anywhere. Yeah. yeah. But um. So anyway, I. I get to the apartment and I walk up the stairs and open the door and she had sent me pictures of the apartment. So beautiful, furnished, everything. I get there and there's no furniture in the living room. Everything's in, in bags, trash bags. 
because they had just had bed bugs and she never told me. Oh boy. So I'm moving into this place and I had no other options. So I was like, all right, well, I guess this is where I live now. So I, I lived in this apartment for three months and it ended up being totally fine. It was just, you know, that New York nightmare of having bed bugs. So let's uh, talk about this. I had no experience with this. Yeah, so let's talk about this for a second because I was going to talk about the whole generally finding an apartment thing, and that's come up on the podcast before. And by the way, if uh, people are listening, if you go back to the episodes with someone named Rachel Romack and also the episode with someone named Julie McNamara, they both go into great detail about housing and finding an apartments and all that kind of stuff. So those are helpful if that's something you, you need to know about. And uh, what I always say is just be really careful, do all your due diligence, because there's a lot of scams out there. There's also a lot of just bad situations out there. So be hyper, hyper careful when you're when you're looking for a place in New York. But so in this, this is a good example. So first of all, I actually did deal with bed bugs myself once a million years ago. And it is and it is absolute hell. It's a truly horrible thing uh, that you do not want to mess with. So in this case, though, it sounds like, fortunately, they had already gotten the rid of them, right? They had completely... So you didn't actually have to deal with any bed bugs directly. Nope. Good. Because no, that's... Uh, that. I was very thankful, you do not want that. Okay. Oh, yeah. Back to walk into a place where, you know, everything's trash back. But that's fine. It was not my permanent well, it, home, and it, I lived there for three months. Yeah, but it great. does it does seem a little a little off that she didn't bother telling you. Yeah, that was the part that was not great about it. Yeah. But, you know, it is what it is. Yeah. And, you know, it's fine. It's been okay. a couple years since then, and we've moved on. Sure. All right, so you lived in this, uh, this place or this room for a while. Yep, so I was there from March 1st to the very, very end of May, and then, and I got to the city, and I had an apartment, but I didn't have a job, um, but I would say within, I probably took the first week to kind of get my feet on the ground, mm-hmm. and I'd say in the middle of maybe that second week, I had found a job, just hostessing at a restaurant a couple days a week, um, while I was kind of figuring things out, and then from there, I moved to another restaurant as a server, um, Right in the middle of Midtown, actually, which is always quite a crazy experience. Had you ever worked but, uh, in restaurants before? Yeah, I had. I had worked in restaurants um, in high school and college. Oh, okay. So I had experience as a server, but I don't think anything really prepares you for being a server in the middle of the theater district in Manhattan. There's just nothing like it. Yeah, so, so definitely so. a very different experience. Yeah, so so elaborate on that because a lot of actors that come to the city will end up with those exact jobs, um, and so 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 talk about that. What makes it so different, or what's what was what was the sure. big what what's the you know what 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 are you referring to? Yeah, I mean the wonderful thing about it is that you can make a lot of money doing it yep. because it's a pure you know, amount of people that you see on a daily basis, and it is flexible usually. If you end up at a good restaurant, they'll be flexible with you for auditions and contracts and all that, but you're just dealing with a lot of people all the time, and you're also dealing with tourists who don't necessarily understand 
statistics system in yeah. America because, yeah. you know, in Europe and other places, they don't tip. So yeah. sometimes that can be really frustrating. You're also working long hours, usually really late, because restaurants tend to be open longer in New York. Yeah. Um, it's, yeah, it's just, um, it's definitely different than anything that I had ever experienced. But I ended up, I currently work at a restaurant as well, and they've been really, really amazing with me anytime I want to leave on a contract. So this kind of ends up being the best thing. Yeah, again, this has come up a lot. You know, there's different ways, there's different types of day jobs, but a lot of people do the restaurant thing. And, yeah, they say the same thing. The schedule, the flexibility um, tends to work well. Um, Yeah. Cool. So um, another general topic, you know, that this relates to that's come up on the podcast a lot you know, is suddenly dealing with being in New York and the cost of living and so forth. Um, you know, you don't have to get into too much detail, but, but or any detail if you don't want to, but in general, you know, because this is important for actors, it really is for anybody, but especially when you're, when you're trying to be an actor and survive, you know, was you know, was dealing with the financial part difficult for you? Did you have savings? Are you a good saver? Was it tough to learn to budget? You know, how did that all work out for you? Um, I feel like I, I am not a very good saver by nature, but I've kind of had to learn because living in the city is expensive. And I also have student loans, mm-hmm. which I pay a lot of, a lot of money every month, unfortunately. Yeah. yeah. Um, so personally, for me, I have found that the best system, especially since I walk out of work every night with cash mm-hmm. at the server. Yeah. Um, so it's not like you're getting paid weekly or bi-weekly. Exactly. Um, which I don't know if that's better or worse. But right. I carry a notebook around everywhere I go, and I budget everything out for every month, and I budget it down to weekly. And I write every single day what's in my checking, my savings, and how much I'm spending, and making sure that I'm putting away a good amount of money just to make it work. Oh, wow. I see. I didn't, I didn't know this was going to be, uh, I didn't know this was actually going to be a great person to ask this question. So this is beautiful. So that's, that's excellent. That's great. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I was, I was really lucky growing up. I mean, I had a stay at home mom and my dad was in the military and we were very like, you know, upper middle class and I didn't, you know, I never asked for anything, you, you know, we were really, really lucky as kids, so I feel like my parents just never really discussed money with us very much. Mm-hmm. So I kind of had to learn it on my own, and then especially go into a place where it's really tempting when you're walking out of work with a good amount of money in your hands to just go blow it. Oh, but so I had to really, yeah. really teach myself to be diligent with it. So again, the budgeting thing with the really detailed budgeting—that's great. And you bring up another important point. It has come up before that, especially with the waitering, uh, with the serving lifestyle. Exactly. You're, you're walking out with cash every shift and you're tired and you're stressed and, and often your coworkers are going to want to go out. Uh, trust me, I've been through this myself too. And, um, you're 100% right. You know, you have to remember that this is part of your paycheck. It can't just disappear. I mean, it can, but if you choose to make it disappear that night, then it's gone and things like that. Um, exactly. So, yes. And then it also alludes to a bigger issue that happens to people, which is you you get so into this restaurant lifestyle and this cash flowing in that you either 
get too busy or too tired from it and don't focus as much on your auditioning, um, or you get so used to the cycle of money that you need the money. You know what I mean? That people talk about how they, they, you know, you go in originally with this plan of the restaurant is to support my auditioning and my acting career. But sometimes it end, you end up so caught up in the restaurant lifestyle uh, that you either let the auditioning fall back or, you know, you're not as truly focused on it. You know what I'm saying? Oh, yeah, 100%. Yeah. Because, you know, when you end up, when you're walking out with all this money, it ends up being really, really difficult to give up after a certain time. Exactly. Um, so, yeah, I mean, when I first started at the restaurant, I was nannying as well, but when I started, I was only there a couple days a week, um, and now I'm up to full-time at the restaurant, and as we said earlier in our discussion, it's really difficult to work until one or two in the morning and then wake up at five for an audition, and it's just being a really, really difficult cycle to break. Yes. Well, there you go. So, so, so... I guess the advice would be, and you tell me, is, you know, just be aware of that balance. And if you start to feel yourself veering too much away from the acting focus, if that is your goal, then see if you can find a way to balance it better, whether it's, I don't know, giving up a shift or two a week or just doing something yeah. to make sure you're, you're, you're in balance the way you want to be. Totally. And finding balance in the city is, is difficult. So hard. Not just work, but socially. Yes. All of that. Sleeping, money. It's just a difficult place all around to live. So I think, you know, pulling back a little bit. Zoned out, you know. You got to find ways to keep yourself sane, keep yourself grounded, unplug from the hustle and bustle, because you don't want to get burned out professionally or personally, and you don't want to be showing up to right. auditions exhausted and drained and jaded, you know, or desperate. Yeah, and it's really hard because the second you leave your house in the morning to the second you hit your bed, it's just there's so much stimuli in the city, and you're. People are constantly touching you, either riding the subway or walking. It's like there's just no break, really, until you're in your house by yourself. So that is really well said. I, I completely agree with that. You said that beautifully. And that's people that don't live here yet, they really don't realize how true that is. The It is just so overcrowded and so many people in every every stage of the day, as you said, that, that is a really, really good point, yeah. Yeah, it gets really overwhelming sometimes, yeah. and every once in a while I just think to myself, I need to get out for a couple of days. And that's a good <laughs> thing to do. Out. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And especially, you know, coming, I came, as I said, from a really small town, and I'm just not used to that. Yeah. Um, so every once in a while you just need a break from it all. Oh, yes. Oh, yes, absolutely. Uh, good. Well, all very, very important points and things. Again, that's another another thing, too, you know, is, you know, whether you have your own apartment or, or if you do have roommates or whatever the case, but how to, to whatever degree you can, you can really making your own home comfortable for yourself and, 
you know, it is your one little place of solitude and sanctuary in the, in the crazy city. So I think having, you know, and it's tough because there's so, because space is at such a premium, but whatever you can do to make your home feel home and feel like you're, you know, I'm not being clear, but you know, like you're blocked off from the rest of the world when you're there, I yeah, think is helpful for, 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 for that. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Very cool. All right. So, um, all really important stuff. All right. So I'm not even sure where to go from here right now. So what do you, so you have, so you're going to be doing the current show and then Footloose through May, did you say? Yeah, so we open May 3rd, and we run for three weeks. And then you're moving to a different apartment as well. Yeah, I have to move at the end of May. My lease is up. Um, and that's always stressful, too. It's really expensive, and as you said, you have to be really, really careful because there are a lot of scams. Oh, yes. Um, and I was really lucky. I mean, as I said, I subletted when I first got to the city, but then I moved into an apartment, and I've been there, it'll be two years, so the time I lease is up, and I was really, really lucky with this apartment. Um, so I'm kind of nervous to go through the process again. So, um, just to kind of illustrate as an example for people, um, just out of curiosity, is there a reason you're not just renewing the lease and staying in the same place? Sure. Well, this is another common thing, I think, that <laughs> happens when people go to the city, but mm-hmm. I moved into this apartment with what is now an ex. Oh, okay. I see. Sorry. I live with one of my best friends as well, but there are three of us in this bedroom, and at this point, it's just too expensive to stay there. Got it. Um, so we're gonna, we're gonna move at the end of, at the end of the Got it, and you're right. That sort of thing does happen. I, I didn't mean to uh, get into personal detail with you, but I got gotcha. you. Oh, no, that's, that's totally fine. I mean, I think that that's, that's really common, and I would it say is. people be very it careful is. when moving in. And another moving thing in that's common, too. Sorry. sorry, go ahead. No, just, you know, make sure you're very sure before you sign a lease in New York. It ends up being really difficult to get out of. Yes, and also, and this has come up before as well, you know, um, even if it's roommates, you know, as opposed to a, a personal relationship, but even if it's just roommates, um, especially if they are also actors or something, you know, first of all, you have to, if, if, if the plan is to sublet the room when you're out of town, make sure you're really careful about how you do that and is it allowed in the lease and all that kind of stuff. And then, you know, if your roommate goes out of town for a few months and they stick this random person in there with you, you know, is that going to be okay? So there's a lot of potential complications, yeah. Right. Yep. And that's kind of another reason. I live with one of my best friends. We kind of said, you know, he's been in the city since college. He's going to hit his 10-year mark in the fall. He lives with a lot of actors. One of the things he said is, if we're going to continue to live together, I really don't want to live with a lot of random subletters. And that was kind of one of the reasons why we decided it's probably best to go our separate ways. I see. You know, live with different people at this time. So, oh, interesting. So something you have to be upfront about. If that's your plan and you're going to have a lot of subletters in and out, you need to be honest with whoever you're living with. That's really funny that that had come up when I just asked about that. Wow. So, yeah, yeah no, that's, that's exactly right. And, uh, 
you know, obviously having roommates in general, you know, can be difficult. And I think, yeah, communication and if it is somebody you're close with and you can be on the same page about stuff, that's certainly uh, really helpful. Um, yeah, and I think yeah. there's definitely pros and cons to living with people oh, you're yes. close with because sometimes, you know, if if things are strange, that's harder because there is a personal relationship other than roommate. So it gets hard, but I was really, really lucky in my current situation and I'm hoping it will be the same the next go around. And so are you then, so you haven't found your new place yet. You're in the process of looking. We're probably, we don't need to move until June 1st. Right. As I'm sure you know, things move really quickly in the city. So it's still a little bit too early to start yeah. looking. Yeah. Um, we'll probably start looking like mid-April. Cool. Um, and currently I live in Washington Heights, but I'm thinking we're probably going to end up somewhere in Brooklyn this time around. Yeah. So, you know, this alludes to a few other important tips, which is, uh, first of all, you're exactly right about how fast things happen. And that's, that's an issue, actually, because you can't start looking too much in advance, but then once you look, you got to be ready to go because they're going to want an answer right away or somebody else is going to scoop it up. So there's a lot to kind of prepare for and be aware of before you start. And, you know, do you have the deposit ready? All that kind of stuff. Yeah. So you really got to... If you're not ready to sign right there, then, you know, the next person who looks at it is going to take it. Exactly, so, yeah. exactly. So there's a lot to think about and be prepared for um, when you're getting ready to do that kind of thing. So that's, yeah, you got to think all that stuff through. Um, and then something else you said made me think of something, but now I lost it. Um, oh, the neighborhoods. Yeah, so, you know, there's a lot of options. You know, Washington Heights, Harlem, East Harlem. Inwood, these are all great neighborhoods these days in Manhattan. Mm -hmm. You know, I said, it's yeah. funny, I, I had a conversation with another guest recently where, you know, they weren't from around here and, and their family was so concerned when she said she was getting a place in Harlem and she had to explain, as I did on the yeah. podcast, that Harlem is not this place that the, the, the old stereotype and cliche and whatever it, that none of that is true anymore. Hasn't been for a long, long time, and it's uh, totally. it's a great neighborhood, actually. So yeah, all these neighborhoods, and then of course, yeah, Queens, Brooklyn. There's a lot of options, so do your research, and um, you know. Uh, anyway, yeah, there's a lot of options and pros and cons to, to all of it. So just do as much yeah. real research and and checking everything out as you can. Um, yeah. Cool. Cool. So, I'm not sure. I feel like we've covered so much already. It's been great. Um, not sure what else to ask you about. So, um, how do you see your more long-term plan? You know, if you do have one. I mean, do you do you do you? Is your goal to eventually, when you're ready, kind of join Equity and try to do Broadway level stuff, or where, where would you like your career to go? I honestly feel like it's this point in time, the ultimate goal would be to leave New York and go to L.A. Oh, okay. Um, and I see myself probably doing that within the next couple of years. Um, wow. Not quite ready, which is kind of a bummer because I'm about to drop all of this money and move to a new place in New yeah. York. But yeah. um, I'm kind of hoping maybe within the next two years that'll be the next 
that'll be the next step. So, if that sounds to me then like if that's the case, you are trying to move your focus away from the theater and the musical theater because LA is much more film and TV, right? Yeah, I would say so. I mean, I love theater. I absolutely adore it. I mean, that's my passion and my background and all of that. But I'm really, really, really loving the film and television and being on set. And I don't know. I just, and I didn't expect to come from the city. I really, really didn't. I thought my focus would be much more musical theater based, but kind of seeing myself veer away from it a little bit. And it's really interesting that, you know, this whole new passion is developing. Well, listen, and, and it's not like you can't do both, and, and uh, you know, every every actor's journey is different, and you may end up finding yourself back in theater later on, or whatever the case. And, you know, while it's not New York, um, there is definitely a lot of good theater in L.A. as well these days, from what I hear. Um, and the other practical reality, and this doesn't mean it's a reason to do it necessarily, but... You know, what actors should know is that, you know, you can make a decent living from regional theater, and once you get into equity, Broadway and stuff, you know, is, is good. But, but you know, they're, depending on how long the run is, they're fairly temporary. And in, in most cases, in general, you know, TV and film and commercials and all that is, is where more money is, you know. And you can debate whether that's right or wrong, but that's just kind of the reality of it, so. Yeah. I mean, I started doing, I mean, another another interesting thing that people might be, people might be curious about, um, there is a website called Casting Network, yep. similar to, like, a backstage, and you can create your profile, and they cast a lot of background work for film and television in the city, and a lot of things get filmed in New York, you know, Law and Order, Orange is Black, all these different shows. So yeah. last year, I think I started doing background maybe the last five months of the year, and I worked on 11 sets in five months. So there's a lot, a lot of work to be done. And it's all, I mean, you know, that that was all non-union work, but it pays decently, and you get a lot of really cool experience. So this um, is this has come up before, too, and it is a great point. Yes, doing background work, absolutely. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah, 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 and there's actually a lot, there's a lot of movies, and there's actually quite a few TV shows that people don't realize are filmed in New York, um, and actually, if you go back and listen to Lydia Kalman's episode, we get into some detail about that, she does a lot of that, she had done the Meryl Streep movie, The Post, and had done a scene uh-huh. with Meryl Streep, and we talked about all that, and um, as I think I said on the episode, if you Google, like, New York City, what TV shows are filmed in New York City, something like that, you should find a link to the New York City, like, Office of Film Production, something like that, mm-hmm. and they have an official list of all the TV shows currently, and I think movies too, but all the TV shows currently yeah. filming, and there is a lot, actually, so. There's a Yeah. I mean, just the fact I worked, you know, I worked on 11 sets in five months, and they were all different TV shows. I never right. repeated one right. in that time, so that just goes to show how much stuff really does get filmed in the city, which I don't think people necessarily think of New York as, you know, a film and television city. They always think of L.A., but there really is a lot of work. No, there, there really is, exactly. Um, so good. This is actually a good segue, then. Let's get into some more detail about this. I want to ask you... 
how you get your theater auditions too, but let's start with the background work. Um, how do you get these background jobs and, and, you know, what has your experience been? What advice might you have for people who want to do that? Sure. Um, so there are two main ways that I personally get my background work, and one of them is through sexual casting, mm-hmm. which has an office in New York, and you just go in and you register, and, um, you know, they take photos, and if you're right for something, they'll reach out and ask if you're available for the shoot date, and they ask, you know, to reserve the whole day or the whole evening, depending on if it's a day or an evening shoot. Um, and then casting networks is really similar as well. You just go on and you create a profile. And there are different levels, you know, where you can have unlimited photos and pay a certain amount. Or if you pay a little bit more, you can have your video reel uploaded. And they cast um, backgrounds from that, but also student films get cast off of that sometimes. Um, And then I've also had um, a backstage account. And every once in a while, you can find stuff like background work on there too. But I've had the most luck through um, central casting and... um, Oh my gosh, Casting Network. Yep. Those are the two where I've had the most, the most amount of work come through. Yep, and we'll post all these links. And so yeah, that's a general thing that actors use these days, these various websites where the auditions are listed and you, you put your profile and everything up. And there is a cost to it, but these are legitimate you know, audition sites. So it's, so it's not, uh, you know, it is worth it, I think. Um, okay. Now, uh, Let's talk about the central casting thing, actually, because from what I understand in more recent times, if you go on the central casting, it it used to be you could just walk in at certain open times. Now you have to reserve a day and time online. You cannot just walk in. And from what I've been told, like if you go on the website, everything's just full. They don't even give you an option to to book a day. They just say, keep checking back. Was that your experience, or am I wrong? It, that was not my experience. Oh, okay. Um, I went a year ago, maybe, and they it was the same thing, as you said, that your experience was. I mean, they have the, the open times that you can go in. Interesting. Okay, maybe. Thursday, All right. A certain amount of time. You would just go in and register and fill out your paperwork and they take your photos. So that's really interesting. I had not, I haven't heard that. Yeah, well, everybody should check the central casting site. You know, maybe this was a more recent change or a temporary thing. So hopefully I'm wrong, but I remember seeing that it was not like it used to be. So, okay, good. All right. Um, well, people should check that. Um, and we'll post all these links, like I said. Okay, cool. So that's how you, and then like, and, uh, so, so, these background days, so Lydia and I talked about this a lot, you know, they, they can range in, in number of hours, right? They can be pretty long, pretty long shoot days sometimes. Certainly, yeah. I mean, I've gone, you know, I worked on that television show Bowl, and I was there for like four hours, but then I've also worked on The Deuce a couple of times, and because The Deuce is a period show set in the 70s and now the 80s, um, it's you know, if there's 200 background and every single person is going through makeup, wardrobe, uh, all that, it takes forever. And I want to say the first time I did it, it was an overnight shoot and it was like a 15 hour day. Wow. It was really, really, really long. Yeah. Um, but it just totally, totally depends. 
Yep, and what people should yeah, know is know. that... What's that? It just, you know, it depends on the day. If you're going in and they're only filming one scene, you could be in and out of just a couple hours. But if they're doing multiple shots with different actors, you know, films just take so much longer because, you know, they do all these different takes and then they have to turn the cameras around. It's, it's just a much slower process, generally speaking. Yeah, so this is true of any kind of film or TV shoot in general. But yes, and, and particularly background, people should know that the days can be quite, quite long, as you said. Um, what people should also know is that, you know, e you know, even though you're non-union, you know, you have to look at, the, you know, the, the details of the payment. Because I think even non-union, after a certain amount of hours, you do get paid extra overtime or whatever it is. Yep, after you hit your eight-hour market, it right. time and a half. Right. And then there's also, if you're interested, ways of getting SAG vouchers, and after three SAG vouchers, you can join SAG, something like that. Yeah. So you, you can get all the details on that. And then if you do union background work, it, it pays a lot more. But, um, well. so yeah, long days. And you mentioned, uh, so for example, the period show, um, were you asked to bring your own wardrobe, and was it supposed to be a certain period style of wardrobe, or? Uh, nope, for those shows, like the news and the Marvel and the Diesel, things like that, where they're period shows, you go in for a fitting, and it could be a couple days before or a week before. Oh, and okay. Yeah, they show up, and they have, they have, you know, your wardrobe in a bag, and your photo, and your number, and change, and then you go through hair and makeup, um, it was just really cool. I mean, it's a really, really cool experience, especially as a non-union background actor. Yeah, I was going to say, that must feel, that must feel great. Yeah, excellent. Yeah, it's really, really cool. Um, and then, you know, after that, you could sit around for hours and not get used, which right. could happen. But right. um, it's still just a really, really cool experience to be on the set and see how everything works. Yeah, and and it's a great learning experience. And, um, you know, this sort of seems like common sense, but I think some people might not realize it or might think that this is some opportunity for you as an actor or something. So let's talk a little bit about, you know, I, 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 and you tell me from your experience, but I would say, if you know, remember that if you're a background actor, you are a background actor. And if you try to stand out or if you... You know, if you don't just do what you're told, so to speak, you're gonna you're gonna piss them off. You're not gonna impress them. Uh huh. Yeah, I mean, I have never seen anybody do anything like that on set. Okay. Again, I've been pretty lucky, I guess, yeah. And, yeah. in my experiences. Um, yeah. I've never seen anybody, you know, escorted out or, right. or anything like that. Yeah, I don't mean necessarily to be that dramatic, but I just mean yeah. remember that that you know. As a background actor, you have a very specific um, function. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Certainly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, you're you're not the lead of the scene. So exactly. I would say. Exactly. Just try try to blend in and do what you're told as much as you can. I guess. Has any of your background work been um, one of those situations where, like, you're at another table in a restaurant or something like that, and and you're like. You're supposed to be talking, like we see your mouth moving, but we can't actually oh, yeah. hear you. Oh, you have done that. Oh, yeah. So how does that work? I've always wondered about that. Are, are you told to, like, you know, like, move your mouth as if you're speaking, but be silent? Or how does that work? Uh -huh. 
Exactly. That's okay. exactly how that works. Okay. Um, I did, I worked recently on Law & Order SPU, and I was doing a scene, I'm sitting in a booth, and I'm facing the camera, and my scene, you know, the person who, who I was working with wasn't, and you can see me, and I'm supposed to be talking, but we weren't actually saying anything, we were just moving our mouths, which can feel a little awkward. Yeah. Um, so no this is really interesting and it's important because you may as an actor as a background actor be tasked with this because it's it's a very common thing you see in movies and tv Uh you see these people in the back in a busy place that, that look like they're talking i'm very interested in this so so do you are are do you like in your head are you mouthing specific sentences, or are you just kind of moving your mouth? Um, I'm definitely saying saying things that I would normally say in that setting. Okay. I think after a certain right. amount of time with whoever whoever you're working with, you kind of like get into a pattern, so that right. every time they call action, you kind of know right. who's, do, who's saying what when. I like um, that. I like that. But okay. it, it definitely is awkward, and it feels awkward. You're working with somebody you've never met. Right. And you know, sometimes it's fun, but sometimes it's been a really, really long day, and you're both tired, and you just yeah. kind of want to go, yeah, which is of common. Of course. Um, but yeah, it is funny. I mean, you know, any TV show or, or movie you see when there's all this, like, crazy noise in the background, like, that's all fed in later. It's not real. Oh, yeah. So the sound part. Watching TV. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Yep, absolutely. And um, so that's very interesting. And do, do they ever tell you, like, you know, you're moving your mouth, but, like, don't move your head too much or things like that so that they, you know, that's too distracting kind of thing? Um, that's never happened that I've seen. But okay. I know um, a couple of weeks ago I, I was working on that new show, FBI, and we were supposed to be playing FBI agents and working on computers and everything. And they kept saying, guys, don't actually type on the keyboards or don't actually click the mouse like it's too loud you hear all of it right so yeah stuff like that definitely does come up yeah, the, the realities of what it takes to film a scene on TV or movies and how different it is from what you watch when you watch it is 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 truly astounding it really is mm-hmm. um, and a lot of times because we live in New York and we're filming on location like of course there are sound stages and stuff and Law and Order has their own stage and, you know, all these different things. Blue Bloods, they all have their own stages, but a lot of times you're filming at a different location yeah. and it's very loud. So, you know, sirens happen, talking happens, and they oftentimes will have to pause yeah. until all that stuff kind of clears and then they'll, you know, go again. Yes, and also, you know, you walk around the city, you see the trailers sometimes. You don't see any shooting going on, but you see the trailers. And um, also... You know, and you hear stories about, you know, if some random crazy person wanders into the shot or some nonsense like that. But also, um, sometimes if they are shooting something outside, you know, they have the area kind of blocked off, but they still have, you know, I, I, I guess it depends on what type of production, whether they're allowed to just include people who just happen to be walking by in real life in the background. I don't know. But... What will happen sometimes is they'll be like the PA or whoever it is yelling at us, just the regular people walking down the street who are not involved in this thing, you know, and they're yelling at us, keep moving, don't stop, keep walking. And I'm always like, 
that's so, like, weird and intrusive and, like, like, just, I don't think that's right. Like, we're not involved in this thing. But, you know, right. it's, it's what they have to do, I and guess. I but I'm always them. like, what? What? Yeah. They're just, you know, it's their job, and I'm sure I they know. don't want to, but people give them such a hard time. I and know. But I, I get it, too. Like, you know, if I'm walking down the sidewalk and I'm just trying to go to work, and somebody's either stopping me or yelling at me to keep moving. Or exactly. Or exactly. We're just trying to live our lives. Thank you. That's exactly what I'm talking about. Yes. Yeah, one hundred percent. I totally see both sides. Yes, absolutely. It's more frustrating, I think, when it's people who stop and they're taking videos or they're on, you know, trying sure. to take pictures. Which sure. I understand that's exciting. If, if you're from, you know, a little town where you don't ever get to see stuff like this or from anywhere. Yeah. Um, that's not exciting thing. You can see a film set. Of course, you want to take a photo, but. Yeah, absolutely. And uh, one more question about the background technique. So I don't know if this this was in the case for you in, in the that restaurant scene or another time, but um, have you ever done it where you actually have food or a drink in front of you that you're supposed to be eating or drinking, or no? Um, never food, but drinks, yes. Okay, so a couple of interesting things about all this from what I know, and then you tell me. First of all, and this applies to the main actors, too, if they're doing an eating scene, you know, as you said, you're doing a million takes. They're, different actors deal with it different ways, but some of them actually, like, spit out the food after each take. Like, you don't realize, because you don't want to be eating all these takes in a row, you know? And, um... Yeah. And so that's one thing. And then also with drinking, obviously, if, like, they're supposed to be drinking alcohol, it's not actual alcohol. And it's funny, like, the different things they use to substitute for different types of alcohol. But in your case, with the drinking, you know, was it a big deal? Was it like you had to just keep taking sips? Or were you not really drinking it or anything like that? Um, in my case, usually, I mean, I've done a couple of different ones where it's been you know, a champagne glass and it's right. like watered down ginger ale right. and tastes gross. Exactly, right. Um, <laughs> but usually, I mean, we'll take like maybe tiny, tiny little sips or just kind of like put it, you know, tip it towards our mouth but not really like take very much. Yeah. Um, that's usually how I personally deal with it because also you're in the background. They're not going to keep coming around and filling up your glass. I was going to say, you wonder if they get annoyed. Like, yeah, we can't keep refilling this. Right, right. Yeah, and usually, like, by the time it gets to you, like, sometimes those craft glasses have been filled for a long time before you actually pick it up. So when you're drinking watered-down warm ginger ale, it's pretty gross. Yeah, yeah. Fantastic. It's so it's fascinating. It really is. That's so cool. All right. Um, so getting back to regular uh, theater and musical theater stuff, how do you normally find your theater auditions? Usually, I use Playbill.com. Yeah. Um, you, that's you know, how you got. That's how you got to job. me. <laughs> yep. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. Um, yeah. I just kind of do a general search um, for anything that's auditioning in New York, and it's interesting because there's all different kinds. So there's you know equity principal auditions, equity chorus calls, there's open calls. And generally speaking, as you know, if you're in the middle of audition season, usually you're not going to get seen at an equity principal call yeah. or even sometimes at an equity chorus call. But it's just kind of 
it's the name of the game. You go and you wake up early and you stand in line and you just hope that they'll see you. Yep, exactly. Now, so we should clarify for people that, that may not know, Playbill is actually free. You don't have to pay to use Playbill. Um, right. The others backstage, uh, Actors Access, etc., have some cost. Now, Playbill um, is pretty thorough as far as theater auditions, although there may be certain things that are on backstage that are not on Playbill. I don't know. Um but um, Playbill doesn't really list too much as far as TV and film stuff. I think it's pretty much exclusive to theater, right? Yeah, it tends to be Broadway, off-Broadway, regional theater, touring companies, cruise ships, stuff yeah. like that. But, yeah, usually, like, musical theater, straight theater-based. Yeah. And, uh, you know, so you, you do these regional theater gigs, and you do some background and student film and different things. Um you know, this is another important question to ask actors, you know, at this point in your, in your journey, um, are, you know, do you have certain criteria? Are you willing to work for free if, you know, there's some really cool show that you're, well, I don't mean to put words in your mouth as far as the situation, but are, are you willing to do shows or any kind of gig that, that doesn't pay? Um, at this point, well, if it's out of the city, no, because I can't work and not make money. Right. But, you know, I've done some sketch stuff that's free and some cabarets. At this point, I won't, there are some cabarets that they call, like, pay to plays, and you have to pay for your accompaniment, or if you don't get a certain amount of people there, you have to make up the difference in their tickets. I don't do stuff like that anymore, just because it gets expensive and, it, you know, just seems kind of silly at this point. Um, but, um, yeah, every once in a while, if it's, if it's a project that I'm passionate about or interested in, um, and I have time for, then I will do it for free. But, um, I prefer to get paid, of course, just because at this point, trying to be a professional and make it my livelihood, it's hard to commit all that time and not get compensated for it. Yeah, so this has come up before, and you alluded to two very important things that, that, are, that are good to get into again. So, one, I think, you know, actors are afraid that if they, if they don't say yes to everything, if they don't build up their resume with free stuff, whatever, that that's going to cause them a big problem, and it's just not true. So there's nothing wrong with having standards, and there's nothing wrong with choosing not to do things that don't pay you and things like that. And then the pay-to-play stuff, this is a big deal. So there's the musical version of it. There's also a lot of straight theater versions of it where however it works, you're required to pay or get people there and things like that. Um, be very careful with these things, I would say. They're not necessarily all bad, um, but they can be, and they can just be kind of scams to get actors to pay money. So be be really careful, I would say, with those sort of things. Yeah, I agree. I mean, the first summer that I was in New York, I did a couple of them, and I was really, really eager to just perform anywhere in the city and get some video footage. Exactly, but exactly. It just ends up being expensive, and at the end of it, you're like, wow, oh, I don't know why I did that. It was, it was not really necessarily worth it. Yeah, and you, you said it exactly. They take advantage of new actors 
eagerness, excitement, maybe even desperation, you know, because they just don't necessarily know any better. I don't mean that as a put down. I just mean that that can happen. So, so yes, that, that's why we talk about this stuff. So be very careful. All right, well, Megan, I got to say, this has been really fun, and I feel like we have covered so much. This has been great. Um, is there anything That's else awesome. you want thank to... You. No, thank you. Is there anything else you want to mention or talk about before we wrap up? Um, I don't know. I, I don't think so. I guess, well, I guess I would just say to people, if, if this is your passion and you can't imagine doing anything else with your life, I would just say go for it because being in a city for two years, I've learned so much and it's been really hard in a lot of ways, but it, it's been so unbelievably life changing and exhilarating. And I feel, you know, at this point I'm, I just turned 28 and it's the first time in my life that I really feel like I'm an adult and I'm independent and I'm doing the things that I want to be doing and not necessarily just falling into what society thinks that you should be doing with your life at the time that you're 28. So I think that if you're passionate, just go for it and do the things that excite you. That's beautifully said. And I think another, you know, reason for this podcast and things like your blog and all kinds of things, you know, there's such a community of actors and, you know, to listen to sort of outsiders who aren't in it, who think it's a crazy choice to make or a crazy way to live your life or why don't you have a regular job or whatever, you know, this makes us realize, no, there's a whole lot of us. And, uh, and well, I shouldn't say us, I'm not an actor anymore, but, you know, people who want to be in the arts in some way. But you know what I'm saying? There's a community, you're not alone, and, uh, and uh, don't, don't give in to thinking it's a bad choice if it really is what you want, um, as you just said. So I, I, I would completely, of course, uh, agree with that. Yeah. Cool. So a perfect yeah, note it's to... A, it's a hard road, but it it's is. worth it. It is. It is. Exactly. Well, that's a perfect note to go out on. So as I said, we're going to post the various links and things we referenced in the episode notes. We'll post your website, of course, as well, with your blog and your videos and everything. Do you have any other social media you want to share? Are you on, like, Instagram or anything like that or no? Yeah, I'm on Instagram as Megan Ray Little NYC. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah, those are my... My website and my Instagram, those are the two that I really try to utilize um, with all my all my acting gigs. Perfect. So we will post the links to those. And uh, Megan, again, this has been great. Love to have you back. Love to have you on the group episodes when you're back in town and whatever else. Yeah, definitely. So um, good luck with uh, your current gig and good luck with moving and all that stuff. Thank and you. Uh, thank you again so much for doing this. And um, if anybody wants to reach me about the podcast for any reason, you can email Craft Business Life Podcast. That's all one word, Craft Business Life Podcast at gmail.com. And uh, until next time, thanks everybody. Bye.